Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else. Even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass. So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. Burrow is a furniture company known for timeless design and thoughtful construction. And free shipping. And that extends to their outdoor collection. Their outdoor furniture is built to withstand the elements. Featuring rust-proof stainless steel hardware, weather-ready teak, and quick-dry foam cushions. For Memorial Day, get 15% off your Burrow purchase at burrow.com slash ACAST and up to 25% off outdoor. That's up to 25% off outdoor furniture at burrow.com slash ACAST. Hello and welcome to episode 146 of the world's first Paul Weller fan podcast. I'm Dan Jennings, and 10 years ago, I gave up my live streaming career as a radio presenter with one big regret – Never getting to interview my hero, the legendary singer, songwriter, and musician, Paul Weller. Hey! Now, this podcast and indeed this live event that you'll hear more about in a second exists purely to solve that issue. Welcome to Desperately Seeking Paul. Hey! And we are coming to you live from the Water Rats in London. These days, this iconic live music venue is a key pit stop on London's indie circuit. This place hosts just for anyone who's going somewhere. It's even seen live music from the likes of Bob Dylan, Oasis, The Pogues. It's hosted comedy legends, get ready for this smiler, Charlie Chaplin, Bob Hope, Lauren Hardy, and even Karl Marx is said to have stayed here. Wow. Not, not bad, right? Now, look, this is not a bad place to bring this podcast to you live from here this afternoon. For this live episode, I am joined by Paul Smiler Anderson. <laughs> this, fella Hello. Is, this fella is so used to being on stage playing music, usually behind the decks as a DJ. His musical tastes are so on point that Paul Weller and his band have played his mixtapes in the dressing room before live shows, right? That's true. Nice. Uh, he's also an author, and we'll go through his incredible <laughs> books, right? He is Fine. known for creating the defining work on the world of mod. This thing is the Bible, all right, if you're into modernism. Supposedly. Yeah, if you're into that cult. <laughs> we'll talk more about that on, in a sec. Um, and Paul Weller was such a fan of this thing that not only did he recommend it to all his mates, he insisted that he meet up with Smiler. Um, he featured in the follow-up book as well, and we'll talk about that. And Mr. Weller came up with the idea for Smiler's latest book as well. So some pretty cool links that we're going to dig into yeah. here. Smiler's written fanzines. He's written record sleeve notes. He's presented radio shows. How the heck we're going to have time to fill this in, I do not know. But we're going to be a good go. Please welcome Paul Smiler Anderson. <laughs> Bless ya! Now we've we've had a few you. we've had a few people with nicknames on the show, right? Some of them given to uh, Paul's given them the nicknames, so like Brother She's from Stone Foundation, for instance, yep. the General from Stone Foundation, Tough T was here. Oi, oi. He's Is he still here or did he? Yeah, he's, oh, he's, he's there. there. There he is. Well done. We've had all kinds of people with great nicknames. So tell me, 
Well, two questions, right? What's the nickname Smiler? Where does that come from? And the second question, really importantly, is it a clean story that we can tell? <laughs> yes, it is. When I was a kid, I was about uh, 13, 14. I was working at Lipton's as a shelf filler. Uh, this girl that I really fancy was probably about 18, went, oh, you're a proper smiler, aren't you? So uh, it didn't get me anywhere with that, that obviously. But I got home and uh, my dad said, that was my nickname as a kid. I was like, that's it. So as a DJ, all these people call DJ Embark or DJ whatever they were called. I went, I just called Smiler. And that was it. So I've been known Smiler ever since. I know that. You didn't know that your old man had that nickname. No, didn't know. <laughs> and they went, that's it. Because you smile for a genuine reason. I think, thank God I'm alive. See, I was positive. I said, thank God. So you know, oh, you that. can swear, but you know, we'll have to, yeah, be, no. yeah we'll have to. Okay. I'll say, thank fuck I'm alive. <laughs> and uh, I'm alive. So I thought, yeah, Smiler, yeah. It's good. I know. Like, it's a good name. Hey, look, so let's kick off. Uh, what came first, the jam or mod? In your world, what came first? Uh, probably the jam. It was something I didn't know I was looking for. I, I was too young for punk. I love punk. And my uncle um, said to me, there's these two people called Johnny Rotten and Sid Vicious. And I thought he was joking, winding me up. I went, yeah, okay, yeah. And he went, no, really? And uh, I thought, wow, that's it. And they went, they're terrible. <laughs> So, of course, I had to listen to it, and Pretty Vacant came on top of the pop. So I was like, wow, great. But I was 12 at the time, probably. And so 14, 79, I'm the right age, and I'm hearing all this stuff about mods, and uh, I've become a mod. Tell me back to the time. Was Paul actively talking about mod and being a mod and that? Did that come through the jam interviews and conversations, or was it something you found outside of that it just so happened it coincided with the jam i'll be i'll be honest i can't really remember it was so yeah i was 14 it was there was so many things coming in at me at the time all i remember is like every like hated what i liked you know like my sister hated it she was into like white snake and and, and like heavy metal but i did still her who greatest hits with the exploding jukebox <laughs> so i stole that from her, her thing and she was like where's that gone i was like that's what I like. And I really got into The Who. And I think it, it was an extension of that, really. I, I, I don't really remember a lot about it, but it was just like all the kids at school were like, you were either one thing or the other. And, and there was a mod crowd and I was drawn to them. And from a jam point of view, so at that point we've had what everything up to in including all mod cons, I would guess, 79, right? Yeah. So, yeah. So you've got setting sun, sound effects, all the, and all yeah, those so, singles yeah, to yeah. come. Yeah. Um, did they then become like your band? So 14 years, so many people have talked on the podcast about being that schoolboy age. Yeah. I've and, always feel fraudulent because I never got to see the jam live. Yeah. I was 17 when they split up. Um, and from Reading and all the people I knew loved the jam. And and I was like, wow, that's great, you know, brilliant. But we're all so young, and 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 living in Reading, London seemed, a, a, yeah, another place. It was so I'd go see gigs around Reading and stuff. It, it was a horrible thing, you know. It almost guts me these days that I never actually got to see the Jam. So I feel fraudulent in a way, <laughs> which I do. Well, it's going to be a very short conversation because I thought that's what Sorry. we were talking about, but. <laughs> <laughs> so, so talk to me about mod then, because my understanding is it means different things to different people. And I was reading an interview with Paul the other day where he was talking about, well, so some people, and Stu, if he's still here, talk about the holy trinity of like, you know, the, the things being closed music and football. But actually then Paul talks about his, it's more than a trinity, there's a fourth, which I can't mention, but he talks about closed music and girls. 
and something else. Um, what was yours? Um, records and clothes. Those two, so. totally, yeah, and cl- and clubs, yeah, clubs ah. and and bands, yeah. You know, like it was, it was always. I I had this whole thing at, at fourteen that I got clothes obsessed, totally clothes obsessed. But I was turning into records, and and that's it. I started building my record collection up, and uh, I got into uh, Nine Below Zero, who were an R and B band, and then um, I worked out that they said, "Are oh, we like?" John Lee Hooker and Muddy Waters. I was like, who are these people? So um, I started collecting that. And it was really weird because at the time, Reading, there was a guy called Mark Bicknell, who was a very well-known Northern Soul DJ these days. He's playing Northern Soul to people, and I didn't get it at all because I was into Muddy Waters and John Lee Hooker and Jimmy Reeds and stuff. So I started collecting these these records. And um, in 85... That's when I finally pushed myself onto the Reading scene, sadly. Sorry about that. <laughs> and uh, I've become a DJ. It was like a mass exodus from Reading at that time. Uh, I think, well, so no, I think, it, was, right? it was mental because people actually came along and went, wow, don't know any of this. And uh, it was brilliant. These days to be a mod and to start, it's like an expensive hobby, right? Record collecting is expensive. Yeah. Clothes, the clobber that you're wearing, yeah. you know, it's, exp- it's not cheap to be a mod, right? No. Was it like that back in the day as well? well I don't know. More affordable? I've had this... I've chatted to Paul about this, funny enough, and I was saying that um, I'm a working class, I'm, a po- I'm still a postman, I've been a postman for 40 years. So when I was 17, I was a postman, and God knows how I did it, but somehow I ran a scooter, I had clothes, and I had records, and I went out, and it was all, and I paid my mum and dad keep. I can't work out how I did even now I don't know how I did it. <laughs> it was totally working classy. It was always, you know, there was, don't get me wrong, there was always records I wanted, clothes I wanted, out of grass. And even now that happens. And it's, it's what I'm used to in life, I guess, that I always want that hunger. But no, it, it, it was a totally working class thing. And where was the inspiration coming from for the music? Because some of these are like not necessarily, they're not chart-topping acts that you're talking about. Like that's um, older stuff, but you're, you, you've always been to like the really obscure stuff, this, you know, playing songs that people might not know and all that kind of stuff too. What happened there was um, I was collecting this stuff that I'd heard Nine Below Zero said about Little Walter and Jimmy Reed and stuff like that. And then um, one day we were down a pub. We, we, we had a pub in, in Reading called The Boar's Head, which is sort of mod friendly. And uh, other else you'd probably get beaten up. So we went there. One day I said, do you know what? I wouldn't mind going to London. And one friend, Richard Molyneux, went, I'll come. And in 1984, I think it's March 84, we, we set off to a, a club called The Phoenix and I walked down and they were playing Slim Arpo and I realised that, wow, there's a whole other thing that exists outside Reading. And after that, we were in London every single weekend and I, I totally embraced it and, and I started collecting records even more because I heard more and more records that Paul Hallam and Richard Early and Don Bassett were playing. So I collected records totally off that. Okay. Let's rewind a little bit back to the jam as well. So Paul, obviously, you know, his look and his style presumably is an influence as well. Totally. Talk to me about what you loved about, let's talk about the Paul Weller, the look of it, and then we'll talk about the music. Okay. Well, you know, I mean, it, it was weird because I can remember at the time at school, really seeing a, a person with a haircut and it was just everything. It was a whole image thing and, and being, I guess, seduced is the word. 
and seduced by that and not knowing it was to do with mods or anything and thinking, wow, that's cool, that's cool, that's cool. And eventually you realise there is this mod thing going on, but I didn't know it. And so I was going to school looking, I guess, like a mod, but not knowing I was a mod. And then the mod revival is... But I, I said, I, I didn't become a mod till September 79, which is quite late in, in the scheme of things because a lot of people were mods before him. But in Reading, that was, I guess, the button when I thought, yeah, I'm a, I'm a mod. And my sister didn't get it because my sister was into White Snake and, and like, quite heavy metal. And she's like, what are you doing? And <laughs> and I was totally not not influenced by my, my sister or anything. It was, a, it was a totally individual thing. It felt it was, like, my... Yeah, what I wanted to do. You, so you discovered something for, that was for you. Yeah, it just so happened there were quite a lot of other people. Totally. <laughs> yeah, totally. But uh, I, I realised that that's and it's never it's never gone away ever. It's about the music. So, what was it you loved about the jams music? What what songs stood out for you? Um, Eating rifles, a bomb in Wall Street. Well, blimey, there's so many. I'm trying to think of how many there were. Uh, Strange Town was really big. I can remember walking around my paperboy round with a little tape recorder, and they were the proper little thick, you know, like tape recorders, not not like they are now, a little portable tape recorder with paws and oh, stuff. Yeah, and I recorded off the top 40 on the Sunday, which, you know, you always had the top 40 on the Sunday. And I can remember walking around Strange Town playing all around my, like, paper round. So, <laughs> yeah, totally. How did you feel when it all came to an end? Sorry to mention this, Shane, in the room. Oh, that's, that was a quick jump, wasn't it? How do, <laughs> um, well, it felt like, yeah, it, was, it felt like the end. It, it, I'm sure that there are other Jam fans, but it, it was almost like the abyss. I don't know, I don't know where we go. I don't know. It, it's gone. Um, and, you know, who knew what would happen? But it, it, it did feel like that's our band. And he said, we're gone. I, don't, I can't explain it. It was it. There was nothing else. Yeah, you know, I, I like the Purple Arts, I like the Secret Affair, I like the Lambrettas, I, all that had happened by then. But when he said that, it was like, oh, I don't know. I don't know where life goes off. It, it was, for a kid that age, it it was a bit, I, yeah, I've heard of people saying they ripped down all their posts of their walls and stuff. Yeah. I never had that. Yeah, you know, I didn't I didn't have that moment of ripping down posts off walls, but I can remember thinking it's gone. And it was almost like a life end, which mm. is weird. It wasn't, so <laughs> thankfully. Well, there was a lot more to come, and we're going to dig into a lot of those yeah. memories as well. But I think the thing that's really interesting is we talk through the books that we'll, we'll talk about your books and yes, your publications. We'll dig into Memories of the Jam and the Star Council and Weller Solo as well, because it's all connected. And let's talk about this first one. So this is Mods, the New Religion. I don't know how many in the room have got this incredible... I was saying to you to, before we started, so many of these amazing coffee books come out, and I'm kind of almost scared to look at them. Do you know what I mean? You don't want to get them dirty. <laughs> I don't want the kids anywhere near this. So you kind of, you're like, almost like reading them with snooker referee umpire gloves that you don't want to touch them. This is such a stunning book. And I guess when you talk about mod, it's all about detail. Yeah. I mean, this is what, like five years of your life, uh, plus everything in your head from before that, but all yeah. the research. This is a proper labour of love, this, yeah? What happened was um, I'd written fanzines, and I'd always wanted to write a book about mods. So I thought I'd write a book about mods in the 80s, which is when I was a mod, you know, like, and I thought I'd felt quite enough that I'd been involved enough and DJed in the 80s and stuff. And then a guy called um, Manny wrote a book. I don't know if you've seen it. Yeah. There's, there's a book... 
written about. So I gave him all my 80s mod stuff and I, I gave him all my leaflets and flyers because it was all you've been written. So what's the point of me writing it? So I was like, oh, okay, that's gone. And I thought, sod that. I'm going to write a book about the 60s, which I loved, and the most uber-critical people you could ever write about in the world. But I, I, I spoke to Jeff Dexter, original 60s mod, and uh, he was like, yeah, okay. So we chatted for about an hour on the phone, and he went, you seem to know your stuff, Smiler. I went, great. And he went, I'll think about it. Put the phone down. <laughs> and then after that, I got Steve Ellis, I've got uh, Lloyd Johnson. I've got various other people, quite big players involved. And then uh, Jeff rang me up one day and went, Paul, I've heard you've done your homework. I'm in. Nice. And after that, it was fine. It was great. And then I got um, Martha Reeves and Eddie Floyd. And What I wanted it to be was that book had to be about the mods and the people they worshipped, which were people like, you know, Eddie Floyd and stuff. And if I couldn't get people like Sonny Boy Williamson and Jimmy Reed, like all the blues, I had to get people who knew them. So that's what I did in that book. And you also talk about this subculture exploding in London, but actually proliferating around the UK. Yeah, that that was really important to me because I realised coming from Reading, I mean, I don't know, I'm sure if any of you from London, you'll go, smiles from Reading. I went to the uh, gate and the, they said that it was shut, you know, like, and so it was always like about it being very small. And I thought <laughs> that's not really fair because I, I went for all that. And so it had to be about it being a broad thing, whether a, a bloke was a mod in, I don't know, Sirencester on his own, but he was a mod, and he was the only mod in Sirencester, I want it to be his story. And so it became a big, big thing. I was going off to Manchester and Portsmouth and, and wherever, Birmingham and, and wherever. It had to be about mods from everywhere. Because all the things have been written either were like London which were mods, or Northern Soul, which was like 70s, like Wigan and mm. wherever. Nothing had ever been written about mods from all over. And that's what that book attempted to do and hopefully did. Well, it's an amazing publication because you really dig into the roots of it and everything. Yeah. But it gets such amazing feedback when it goes live, what, to the point yep. that Mr. Weller hears about it. So how does this come about? How do you get, how do you get news that pulls into the book and likes the book? Well, me and Mark Baxter have been friends for a long, long time. So me and Mark Baxter have been good. So I think uh, Baxter obviously said, Smile has done this. So 2009, I did my um, a museum exhibition, which was the biggest museum exhibition ever on 60s mods that me and my friend Damien Jones did. Loads of people turned out, Eddie Piller and Terry Rawlings and Mark Baxter and quite a lot of people turn up and uh, Chris Farlow and goodness knows what. And uh, it's really museum's most successful ever exhibition to this day. So we do it and it's totally about 60s mods. We get um, original flyers, original posters, original clothing. Um, the jukebox is from the Birdcage Club in Portsmouth, the original mod club in the 60s. We deck out in all total um, records, a free play, so people can walk around the exhibition and choose whatever record they want, whether it be Green Onions or yeah, In the Midnight Abbey. It's totally what would have been on in that jukebox in the Birdcage in the 60s. And so it's great and really good. And Paul didn't know me at the time. And so back's going, no, you've got to go around and smile and sing. It didn't happen. So it, it was fine. It didn't happen. 
And I was a bit gutted, but it didn't happen. A bit like you, you know, yeah, like yeah, that yeah. search. <laughs> yeah, well, we are 140 something. Yeah, and, uh, and, uh, and so what happened is I write this book, and it was meant to coincide with the book. I couldn't do an exhibition and a book. It was yeah. too much. So the book finally comes out. Don't know how this happens. Um, I'm sorry, I'm going to swear again now, so you can edit out, but fuck knows how this happens. Everybody hated us, and it ends up, somebody rings me up and says, Paul, do you know your book's in the Sunday Times top 10 best-selling books this month? <laughs> I'm like, shut up, you tart. He's going, no, it really is, Paul. And he sends me a thing. So I, I end up running down to Waitrose on this Sunday day, and there's one copy of the Sunday Times. There's one copy left, and I pick it up, and my God, we are in the top 10. I never thought I'd ever see it. So I think, oh, this is... This is doing all right. Next thing, Mark Baxter rings me up and says, Paul Wellens got your book. I've given him a copy. Uh, I'm sure you, you've met Mark. <laughs> and uh, he goes, hello, <laughs> Smiler. <laughs> He's got your book. <laughs> he wants to meet you. So we do it. And uh, bless, sorry, Mark, if you think that's, that's a very, very, that's if, very good. If you ever hear it, he goes, all right, my son, all right. So he, he goes, oh, he wants to meet you. So, um, Bloody hell, I I start thinking, oh, what am I going to wear? <laughs> so uh, done the whole thing, right? I'm going through um, what, what I'm going to wear. So I'll get a handmade shirt that I had, like, a button-down handmade stuff, start on it, and my wife's going, are you sure you're meeting a bloke? <laughs> <laughs> Still, I, I am, yeah, definitely. <laughs> You sure? So my wife had doubts. But anyway, I met him and uh, it was brilliant. And um, <laughs> I can tell you now that apparently the go for thing when you meet a mod is Paul Weller walked in and went, Smiler, love your book, and gave me a German copy of Tin Soldier by the Small Faces. Well, I slipped, slipped it into the house. There you go. Have that. And it was like, wow, wow. He didn't need to do that. No, he didn't. No, he didn't. And it was really lovely. And um, Is that a standard mod handshake? <laughs> I don't know. That was a whole thing. It, was, it set the precedent of like, wow. And I was really enamoured. Well, did uh, you have that? You had stuff for him as well, presumably, right? I did. Yeah, I gave him a copy of my um, Fleur de Lis book that I'd written beforehand. And he hadn't got that. And he went, oh, I've heard about this. And uh, it was it was really nice, yeah. And I've got to tell you now that the one thing he did say, he'd just come from the gym he looked really fixed. He, he doesn't drink anymore, Paul. The one thing he said, you've got to know, he said, I'd hate to die on a treadmill. He said, no rock star should die on a treadmill. <laughs> he said, if you're going to die, you die like John Whistle in America, at your head. <laughs> I'm like, that's fair enough. <laughs> um, and I heard that you gave him like a mixtape as well. Was that that? Was I've that given that time? you. Know, I'd, I'd done that, but I don't know how that came about. I don't know. How he got the mixtapes, but he got my mixtapes, and then Andy Lewis sent me a, a message one day and went, "We're in Ireland, and Paul's insisted that we listen to your tapes." Oh, because I thought I'd given these tapes. I thought he, yeah, he's not going to listen to them. He's insisted we listen. He said, we're all dancing round the thing, waiting to go on. I said to my wife, I went, bloody hell, how's that happened? I said, all these years, all them years, I've gone to see Weller, listen to it, and now he's listening to me. <laughs> That's mad, though, isn't it? Yeah, well done. Never it's, thought it happened. I mean, it's mad, but you, say, you think of that, um, you think of that 14 year old kid into the, you know, discovering the jam, oh. all things mod and all that. Yeah. And then here we are off the back of the book, yeah. you're meeting 
I mean, your hero, really. Totally, totally. In all, I'm privileged. And I, I said I never thought um, it would have come to that then. And I can remember the day that I was on holiday. I was in um, Devon and Mark Baxter said, Paul, well, I want to send you his phone number. And um, I was like, great. So next thing, bang, it comes. I was like, fuck, I've got Paul Wall's phone number. It was like the golden, it was like Willy Wonka and the golden ticket. <laughs> what happened was um, I got another text from Mark Baxter saying um, he wants to talk to you at a certain time. Can you do it? I was like, yeah, yeah, of course we'll do it. It landed on the day I got my son christened. My wife's from Oxfordshire. So um, I was like, okay, so that's, that's not bad. And he went, oh, I think it was like seven o'clock at night. I think he said, oh, I thought that's easy. I'd do that. It's like the christening's at two o'clock or whatever. Easy to get back. We're coming back late than I thought. And my son goes, dad, I need a poo. Can you pull over? <laughs> so pull over. I'm looking at the watch going, <clears throat> To Lorraine, like my wife, going, oh, it's getting a bit down. We go out another, I don't know, 20 minutes down the line. Dad, I need a wee. I'm like, you are joking. Oh, <laughs> well, it's going to It was like, it was, and I got back as the phone rang. I walked in as the phone was ringing, and then I, I spent an hour chatting to Paul. This before we really met properly. So I'd met him before. I literally met him, but it felt like, Almost like I had to pass the exam, which I'd accept any day because he was like, yeah, what do you think of this new band? And what do you think of that? And it was lovely. And I, it was it was about an hour, hour and a half of us just chatting about music and what we thought of things and what your, what your thought on this on politics and stuff. And it did feel like I was having to get the right answers, but I did pass. <laughs> <laughs> and... Um, and it was good. And he was like, oh, yeah, okay. And next thing, yeah, backtrack. All right, Smiler, you're in. You're in. <laughs> and it was it was lovely. It was, I'm not knocking it. It was it, it, it sort of making it a thing, but it did feel that way. It was like Paul had rang me up and asked me, what do you think of this? What do you think of that? And it was lovely. And he, I'm glad that he liked my answers. So yeah. I'm... I'm I feel privileged that he, he loved what I said. I don't know if I'm enjoying this or it's making me more anxious about that, if, if the interview ever comes. <laughs> oh, it's great. He, he, no, he's... Well, I passed the test. <laughs> oh, he's lovely. I, I can't... I always <laughs> stick up for him. Yeah, you know, when people knock him who don't know him. He's so funny. I would sit there thinking, I'm laughing all the time when I'm with him. Now, the one thing is pissing me off in the fact that Baxter was guest number two on the podcast. <laughs> like two years ago. <laughs> Come on, backs, bloody hell. All right, look, I want to ask you about, um, there's so much to talk about, Christ. Let's talk about mod art. So this beauty is the follow-up. Yeah. And a different approach. Obviously, we're not digging into the, the historic um, aspects of the culture, the subculture, I don't know what you call it. Yeah. Right? But we're talking about all the influence that mod has over art. Yeah. And this was not necessarily a topic that you knew loads about, so probably even more research on this. No, right? it was, <laughs> in truth, I went to Omnibus, and um, once they realised that um, the new religion, bear in mind they, they'd refused the new religion to begin with, and uh, I had to spend three and a half hours going through my photographs with Omnibus. And, and uh, I'm not knocking them because there were a couple of people there who, who actually believed in me totally after what I'd sent them. But they were like, oh, we've already got books about mods. You know, that's it. Terry Rawlings book had come out, and um, it. it could cannibalise our own books i went my book looks nothing like it. so when mod the new religion they were like wow i thought oh, i'm gonna look like one trick pony here 
And I thought, ooh, I'm a writer, <laughs> which I'm not. I'm obviously a postman or whatever, just pretending to be a writer, uh, thinking I, you know, aspirations above my station. But um, I thought, oh, you know, I'm going to try and prove that I'm a writer now. I'm like, ooh, I'm a writer. At the time, I had every copy of Town Magazine. And Town Magazine, obviously, which was Man About Town, About Town and Town, had done the first ever thing about Mark Bolan and mods and stuff. And my friend uh, Damien Jones had given me every single issue of Town Magazine in the 60s, which ran from, I think, 58 to, uh, I think, 72, I think it is, roughly. So they, they give me every copy. And I was like, wow, this is great. You know, like I'll, I'll write a book about Town. So I go to Omnibus. I went, I want to write a book about Town Magazine. And they went, oh, it's a, it's a lot of you know, hassle because of uh, uh, the rights and stuff. Rights yeah. and stuff, yeah. How about, Paul, you just write mod art <laughs> because we've got punk art and gothic art and you're the person to write mod art. And I was like, oh, for, for. so uh, I'm a one-trick pony straight away. So I said, what about if I write it in the way I want to write it? So it has to be about pop art and it's not just like, Obvious, it's asked me about pop art and rare fanzines and rare magazines. And I got off an interview, Paul Weller and original revival mods and stuff. They went, Do whatever you want. But it was nice because Paul and Mick both got involved. Paul, Paul Weller and Mick Talbot both got involved in that. Yeah. So I was going to say, obviously, at this point, then, you know, not only has Paul been recommending the first book to everybody that comes along and in magazines and things like that, you've obviously met. Um, so in this book, and we won't just talk about Weller, there's, a, there's other aspects to that. It's not a Paul Weller book, but there are three kind of elements with, with Weller in where we talk yeah. about um, the jam, um, we yeah. talk about the Star Council, and we talk about Weller solo. So yeah. I thought be fun to dig into those conversations and to, to those memories. So yeah. I'm, I'm going to start backwards. Well, I'm going to start in the middle with the Style Council, because presumably this was your band. Yeah, totally. Yeah, yeah Would totally. You, I mean, where, where does it figure in? The, I mean, they, they were all about fashion as much as the music, weren't they? So the mod thing that you talk about, those two things you loved, yeah. fits perfectly. But the thing that people have to realise is there's a difference between mod and modernism. So I call myself a mod, but also there's modernism, which, which is what Paul's totally into. Paul's always moving forward. And I didn't suss that probably till the late 80s when Acid Jazz came along and then Eddie Pillar and, and there was a lot of f mod friends doing stuff that I thought, oh, it's about moving forward. It's not about, you know, this retro. I lived in this world of, you know, like I... I thought I lived in 1963. Okay, in the so 80s. it was all about like vintage almost. Yeah, yeah, totally, right. totally. So I, I collected, I ran vintage clubs and wore tailor-made clothes and it, and I suddenly realised that there was a whole world about modernism, about embracing what the latest thing is, whether it be rap or whatever, which is what Paul Weller was doing. And I actually sussed it then. I thought, God, this is what it's about. I'm not... An idiot, you know, I'm, I've moved forward. So with the book, I tried to get the mod art book to em encompass everything. So when I chat to Paul about it, um, he mentions the Style Council days. He mentions Beyond the Style Council days. Mick Talbot mentions Beyond the Style yeah, Mick is, uh, I know you've met Mick, who, who has got the most photographic brain in the world and can remember everything, can't he? He's amazing, isn't he? So it, it's, it's a great thing. And I can suddenly see why Paul got involved with him totally. He actually encompasses everything about mod. So the three albums that you dig into are All Mod Cons, The Jam, yep. Our Favourite Shop, The Style Council, yep. and Stanley Road, Paul Weller Solo. 
Yeah. And all three have this, I guess, it's pop art, but this kind of collage connection. Which I ain't sassed ever. Did you? I never thought of that until I started writing the book. And then I realised that all of them, I mean, Paul is really anti, you know, Retro, he doesn't think back to the old days or anything. But what is really strange, it was his idea in all of them situations, whether it be our favourite shop and Ormore Cons and Stanley Road, are all collages of his influences. So it's very strange, really, because he's he's a, a very anti... But a lot of them include retro things that his influences are. And I realised that, and, I, uh, and it was great. And I think our favourite shop is the biggest insight into both him and Mick Talbot's psych at the time. It's great in the book because you dig into you know, why they're picking some of those things and choosing those yeah. those items. As a fan of that music, when you you know when you get that album sleeve, that's what you're doing. You're pouring yes, you're looking at the front totally. cover, but actually you're pouring through the inside sleeve of all mod cons and trying to then dig out the things or you're looking through the shop of our favourite shop yeah. and trying to work out what it is and where you can get it and all that, aren't you? Yeah, I mean, it was amazing. When all more cons come out, I mean, how many mods knew who the creation were? And Paul was there giving you that, the creation. You're like, wow, who, who are the creation? And you found out who the creation were. And then years later, obviously, the action. Yeah, he wrote the sleeve notes, the action stuff. I never heard the action in my life. I was like, oh, sleeve notes by Paul Weller. I'll buy that. Yeah, and he did. Bloody hell, he's influenced a lot of stuff, you know, to me. You talked about fanzines, and I know you've been involved in writing for fanzines, writing fanzines yeah. and stuff. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Burroughs Furniture is built for the way you live. From ensuring easy assembly and disassembly to honoring highly requested new colors for their award-winning seating, they always have their customers in mind. Their modular seating is made out of durable materials to last and grow with you. And with Burrow, you always get fast, free shipping. Get up to 60% off during Burrow's Memorial Day sale at burrow.com slash ACAST. That's burrow.com slash ACAST. Burrow.com slash ACAST. Um, and, and Eddie Piller's been on the podcast and talked about his, which is a fascinating story. But in the book, there's Paul's December Child is featured, and there's an image of, yeah. of that, which was, ran to, what, three copies, I think? Yeah. <laughs> he, wrote, he wrote his original pop art poem, didn't he? In yeah, it, in so that, in that thing. But um, yeah. but yeah, so you, you're digging into all those kind of connections, all those memories and stories as well. Yeah. Um, what was it that was so important about fanzines at that time? I think fanzines were important because nobody else was interested. I mean, God, you know, we were mods were belittled in enemy and sound. I mean, sounds were probably better for us, but the enemy and melody maker surely didn't care about mods. It was it was ran by people who were, you know, still listening to probably Jeff Rotel and maybe status quo or whatever. And they had no interest in in this whole lot. And if they'd seen mods, they'd seen it all before. You know, we've seen mods before. It's been done, been gone. There was no thing about revival, even though they seem to embrace 
two-tone. They seem to embrace um, rockabilly. There was all that that stuff going on. But mods, I don't know why. We always had a hard deal. And um, and I haven't forgotten that, you know, even now, that all them years ago, everybody said that I know hated mods. When I said to Paul, we chatted to Paul on, on um, an Eddie Pillar radio show once, and I said to him, um, everybody hated mods. And when I was like, really? I think, it, I don't know whether he was distant from it, but they did. Everybody hated mods, and it was it was a really hard thing. And now it's all, oh, yeah, yeah, Britpop and scooters and everybody loves mods, and it's like Salt and Vinegar and Brighton and Quadrophenia <laughs> Alley, and it's all acceptable now. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Now but it cool. wasn't. It wasn't for a long time. And I always embraced the mods that went through that period, and it was hard times. And I've chatted to Paul about it since, and he was sort of quite shocked that, what we went through. All right. The other thing with fanzines was the fact that every town kind of had one. So that when you talk yeah. about mod across the country and, and how it kind of seeds out, it's, it's every, you know, it might only sell like 50, 100 copies, but every town had their version. Great. It was great because it, it gave bands and, and uh, musicians a voice that they weren't going to get interviewed by enemy or melody maker or anything. So it was lovely that a fanzine could interview a local band and they get to say, well, that's why we're into it, you know. This is why we're playing this music. Mm. Nobody in the you know, general culture were going to do it. So the other thing that gets off mentioned a lot and comes through in some of the imagery as well in the world of mod is dancing. Is that a thing? Is that for you? Is that because you don't see well? He danced quite a bit in the Star Council, but there's not a lot of dancing going on in his career, right? I don't want to say that, Paul. I don't know about Paul's dance. I've heard it's not <laughs> great, but. I don't know. I don't know. I always find I I love dancing myself. I yeah, I like. I think I was quite a good dancer back in the day, but I don't know. <laughs> uh, but um, I did notice that I don't know if any of you lot noticed, but when you watch Solid Bond in your heart and Mick Talbot jump up at some, it looks so piss poor. Is the word <laughs> I think we're looking for? Don't you find it? It's it's like. What are they doing? It's like when you shoot that again. It's like <laughs> yeah, yeah. they're like, oh, it's all misjudged, isn't it? I don't, I don't know. So maybe I'm wrong. I can't remember. There's one of the Star Council videos as well where D and Paul. It might have been top of the pops. D and Paul have got like a proper routine worked out. So you're like, they must have been practicing this at home in the front room. <laughs> Brilliant. Their own music on the stereo. <laughs> Wonderful. Um, one of the other things that comes through as well is the um, the influence of jazz on the scene. And I guess totally. this is so connected to the style council musically as well, right? Yeah. That was obviously something you were digging too. Yeah, totally. I, 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 it was so weird because um, on the mod scene, all we'd ever heard jazz-wise was maybe a bit of Jimmy Smith, Jimmy, all organ jazz. And then there's all this talk about absolute beginners. So me and my mate Millet went to see Absolute Beginners at, I think it was the premiere in London. I was so disappointed. I remember walking away thinking, God, is that? Yeah, I'd read the book and um, I'm being so disappointed by, is this how we're seen? And obviously Weller didn't even get to get his, have you ever had it blue? The whole record is just a little cut and it's, it's so futile. And uh, and it's uh, not very horrible. Yeah, you know, David Bowie looks brilliant. He's amazing in it. But as a film, it it just loses the plot. It's nothing to do with like the book. And um, 
and we walked away from it. But at the same time, you had Paul Murphy and the jazz clubs were amazing at the time in, in the, the 80s, and, and that's where I went to. Um, so as an alternative from the mod scene, there was Baz for Jazz and Giles Peterson, and there was some great, great jazz to be had out. And obviously, that's what Paul was digging at the time as well. Mm. So it was it was a weird, it's a weird thing. Yeah, he, yeah, again, I think it might have even been through him that I went that way. I don't know. I'm not, I, I can't 100% say for sure, but probably, you know, I'd read Paul saying, you know, like jazz is the way or whatever, and that was it. Bang, I'm gone. And thinking, yeah, you're right. Yeah, wow. <laughs> now, as you know, my discovery of Weller was solo. Um, it was Aha, yeah. And then obviously we get Wildwood, Stanley Road. And to dig into the cover of Stanley Road in this book was fascinating for me because they actually rejected first version. So it comes over from Peter Blake and they, no, no, it's not quite right. Like, like this absolute visionary creating this artwork. It's like, no, 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 we need a couple of amends. But Paul was like, thought he'd be too expensive. And that was all came through Simon Halford. Yeah. But also didn't think that he was somebody you could approach to do an artwork for an album. You think about that, that album cover is so important to that LP, I think. Yeah. Was, well, that was the other amazing thing was, um, during that is, um, so Peter Blake, wow. It, it was really weird because I don't know how, it, I think it might have been yet again through Mark Baxter. And Mark had done some work with um, Peter Blake. And I was like, well, you know, I really need to talk about Peter Blake about, for Mod Art. And I hadn't met him. And I like to meet my people I interview. So the one thing I always did was try and meet. And people were like, whether we Manchester or Birmingham, I'd get on the train and go off and interview him, right? So it's always had to be real. I've got a weird thing. So when I wrote the um, – I don't do it now, I'll be honest. I've, I've <laughs> But um, when I wrote my first book, I wrote everything out by hand. Everything. The pen and paper. Yeah. Everything had to be written out by hand. I've got the whole of the uh, new religion written out by hand. And then I edited what I wanted myself. And then obviously at that time, because I got a kid. (laughs) And then when you get a child, you think, oh, God, I haven't got the time. (laughs) But when you've got the time, you can write it properly. So I did everything. So by the time Mod Art came out, it was a bit half and half. It was, you know, trying to dig out what I could and and, uh, write what I could. Everything I did all the the way through was um, try and write everything I could down that um, Peter told me. But then you realise that there's loads of stuff that people haven't bothered to sell you, and then you read up later and think, why didn't you tell me that? Why didn't you tell me that? There's a million things you could have told me, and they've told you the most obscure thing going. So Peter Blake was the mod target. Oh right? yeah, sorry, yeah. So so yeah, sorry, yeah, we, we, yeah, sorry. So what happened with Peter Blake was um Mark Baxter said to me, I'm gonna get you his number. So uh, I rang up Peter Blake one day, thinking that nobody would answer, and he went, Okay, if you're in a 7.30 tonight, I'll answer all your questions. I was like, yeah, I'll be there. And at 7.30, he rang me back, and we were on the phone for an hour. And it was amazing that he went through everything. He went, are you happy with this? Are you happy with that? And I always remember asking about the Beatles cover, and he said to me, I'm sorry, Smiler. That's been covered so many times, you can look that up. <laughs> 
<laughs> but everything else, he was. And what was really weird I was. I can't be asked to tell the story again. Yeah. And what was really weird was I got invited to the opening of the jam exhibition, the first ever jam exhibition at Somerset House. And he was there that night on the opening night. So uh, Paul was there and Bruce was there and Peter Blake was there. It was the day after I'd, he'd give me the phone. So we never met. So I walked over to him and I went, I'm Smiler. I said, we did this. He went, oh, come on. And I sat with him for about half an hour. It was it was amazing wow. that, that I'm, you know, I never thought I'd get to sit with Peter Blake. And a bit later, I, I get up and uh, Paul turned up with Bruce and uh, he walked in. And I thought, and I actually, I think even then, I'm not even sure that Paul would recognise me. He went, all right, Smiler. He walked in. I was like, my whole night, Peter Blake and Paul Weller. He went, all right, Smiler. Job so done. In. Yeah, I was so happy. Yeah, it's great. You mentioned about the tail end of the 80s and um, the acid jazz movement and, yeah. um, and Eddie and all that. Um, obviously, Weller comes back beginning, well, around that time, right? So, you know, 1990, yeah. 91, and really embracing that scene. This must be a connection that you've talked to Paul about, surely, of the music of that time. And because he, he was really digging that, wasn't he? Yeah, totally. I mean, it was. Um, it was his re-emergence, really. I don't think he knew what, what path to take because there was all that um, horrible grunge stuff going on. And I think he just didn't... Uh, I think he... Yeah, I mean, he could have been sunk. Paul Weller could have been sunk easily. His record label got rid of... Yeah, Polydor didn't care about the style council anymore. And I think he could have been sunk. But I think because he's like, you know, He's a modernist. He's, he's, modernism is about taking the best of the past and the present and everything else, the best of it and most sust of it. And Paul knows that. And I think he saw what was going on with acid jazz and funk and the promotion of, yet again, another black culture. It's black culture moving forward. And uh, Paul embraced it. And I think it was great. And, and what was great as well is he'd also realised that where he'd joined the Stole Council, he'd sort of pretty much given up on the, I don't want to say given up on, but he'd, it, there was a, a moment where he didn't even want to play guitar. And so he starts listening to his old small faces and stuff. So it's a mixture of sort of small faces meets modern black culture. I think it's, it's a brilliant, it's a brilliant album. Stanley Road is, is an amazing album. And, um, yeah, I think the making of him really, and and I remember going to see. We went to see him at Dublin Castle, which must have been like the really early. I think I think it might have been his first gig, and loads of people were moaning. Why did you play jam stuff and jam stuff? There are a few of us going, wow. So this was like Paul Weller movement time. Paul Weller right, movement, right yeah, yeah. Okay. So um, yeah, I, I'm. I might be wrong. That would probably be, as far as I know, his first gig is is Dingwalls. At that time, which I think what year it was. In 1990, but, um, end of 1990. Yeah. yeah. So um, we went along to, to it as, as mods and we're like, I was like amazed at what he did. You know, like I thought, yeah, this is brilliant. Also looks so sharp at that time. There's a Jonathan Ross TV appearance around that time. The one where he says about... Bury Always me, be a mod, bury me a mod. Bury me yeah. a mod, yeah. Well, he looks really, so cool, doesn't he? Yeah. Well, there's, there's a, a little story of that because what happened was 
I'd sort of moved away. I'd always been in handmade shirts, handmade suits. You weren't handmaking these, right? <laughs> <laughs> Just check. On, on the mod, mod days, everything was about like tailor made suits, tailor made, yeah, everything was really sussed. You had these proper sussed. And I moved away from that. I thought, oh, yeah, like when Ash Jazz came along. And I, I, I went out and bought my first pair of jeans for years. I wore jeans for years and years and years. I finally bought a pair of jeans. We went at Portobello Road. And I was a mate called Nick Rowe, and we saw Paul Willard and DC Lee walking along looking really mod. I'm like, I want to say hello, but I've got jeans on. <laughs> I couldn't say hello. And he's that sad oh, that I, mate. he's like finally there, like, oh, I can't, no, I've got jeans on. Got to walk away. I love that. There must be like in the concert back in mind, what if you're getting dressed? What if this is the day where I bung into Wella? I can't wear this. <laughs> Uh, tell me about, I mean, you've seen Paul Weller live solo so many times and we could dig into the albums, the songs, all that stuff, but we haven't got time. But I do want to hear about Crystal Palace. Tell me about this gig. <laughs> so this is 1997, A Day at the Races. Yeah. And the lineup's incredible. I mean, Skunk and Nancy, Morchiba, whatever happens to Morchiba, Republica and Weller on the bill. Was it a Findy uh, Quay gig? He used to turn up quite a lot, didn't he, to various things? Maybe, oh. yeah, yeah, I can't. What happened was, um, so by 97, we're all, uh, there's a few of us, and um, I don't, it's, it's, we've sort of moved on from the mod scene. We're all, like, you know, wearing whatever we're wearing. We all call ourselves mods. To us, we're all mods, you know, like modernists, and um, by then it could be um, Lacoste, Stone Island, or whatever. we're all wearing what we call clobber, you know, like wearing clobber, nice Paul Smith trousers, Patrick Cox loafers, you know, like proper money, yeah, when, you, when you're working class boys yeah. and trying to look good. And so we're all off up to uh, London. And um, I got there, me and my mate, Matty Ashman, and he's wearing like, you know, Lacoste and Adidas Gazelles or whatever. And we're going there and we meet a few other like-minded people and, and they're like, yeah, smiling. Yeah. We're all, we all feel like a part of a club. Yeah. It's like almost like outside the mod scene by then we're, we're, we're all in mods, but we're all like this part of like moving forward. And we're thinking, yeah, this is great. And we're seeing Weller and stuff really hot day. And, um, we still haven't moved on from, uh, being absolute drinking nightmares. So we're all like, want a beer, want a beer. Yeah. Loads of us. So we're like, great. Let's have a few drinks. Somehow I got lumbered with, uh, smiling. You get the roundy. Yeah. Like I'll give you the money and like, yeah, whatever. So I'll get in the rounds. There's a beer tent and I go to the beer tent and I said, look, whatever you do, make sure you're there. Just take the drinks off me because I'm getting by now at 12 pints or whatever. You make sure you're there. And I mean, yeah, okay, yeah. As it goes on, I'm moving in and in and in, and there's more and more people behind me, and I can't see any of my friends thinking, how the fuck <laughs> am I going to get, you know, like 12 pints back to them or whatever? And then this girl says to me, she went, if I get served first, I'll get the drinks, and if you get served first, you get the drinks. I went, that's great. That's fine. End up, I get so this woman went, You next, right? What do you want? I went, uh, I want um, 12 pints of lager. And I said to the girl, What would you like? She went, Oh, I, I, yeah, whatever she wants. And she gives me her money, like 20 quid. I'm, okay, great. So I'm just getting served. I'm thinking, oh. I'm still trying to look behind me, thinking, How am I going to get these drinks behind me? I went, Have you got any tray? She went, No trays, they've all gone. 
I went, okay, I've got to get 12 pints back there. She went, I can get this. And she gets, what is, do you know when you get um, a packed uh, of like lagers, you know, like you get the little one inch cardboard tray at the bottom. Right. Yeah. Right. So what they flat pack a tray in. <laughs> so she gives her that. And she goes, I'll put six pints in that. So she gives six pints in it. I'm looking at the, how am I going to get that back there? And then one bloke goes, Hey mate, I'll help you. I'll take one of them off you. And helps himself. And he's reached over. I went, mate, if you do that, you might as well say the fucking lot. Because it was quite a hot day. So it was quite hot. So I just threw the whole drinks over him. <laughs> as any man should do who tries to steal the drinks. And he threw a punch at me. I ducked. He hit the bloke behind me oh my God. who smacked him. And the whole place descended into chaos. I didn't get a punch on me. Next thing I know... The whole crowd's moved forward. I end outside laughing my head off. Everyone's in the punch up and <laughs> secure being called. And all my going, Where's the drink smile? Where's the drink smile? <laughs> I'm going, oh, I don't know, mate. It doesn't matter now. And then the whole place collapsed. The whole tent collapsed. And a bit later, I walked past it and security going, Where's the blokes who started it? Where's the blokes? <laughs> and I had started it. But this woman went, I know you. You were involved in that fight, weren't you? I was like, was I? She went, yeah. Do you want your money back? <laughs> and gave me my money back and the girl that gave me the 20 quid. So I was 20 quid up. So it all worked out. But my mate still says to this day, the great Crystal Palace, Paul Weller, beer riot, you started. And I'll take that. Oh my goodness me, love it. Um, there is so much in this book. Another one that is absolutely fabulous. I have to recommend it. Mod art is brilliant. Right, we're going to skip on to your latest, which was actually a collaboration with Baxter. We talked about with Baxter. Baxter. With Mark. Called Scorcher. This was an idea from Mr. God, have a glug of beer. This was, don't cause a riot. This was an idea of Paul Weller's, right? Yeah. How did that come about? That's amazing. Um, it's from the first time I ever met Paul, really. We, we got chatting and uh, Paul went, as he does, goes, I love Swan, I love your book. Yeah, no, I love it. Blah, blah, blah. And when, Is that um, an impression of Paul or Bax? Yes, yeah, okay, Paul, right. Paul. That was oh, Paul. Sorry. So, yeah. <laughs> no, he's like, that's Bax. Yeah. Paul said, no, if you do that, he said, oh, you've done a good job on that job mods. You've got to do one on, like, Swedes. I was thinking, oh, God, you know, like, it's so small. It's such a small part. And Omnibus will never agree to, to that. As much as I was in with them. Small part meaning length of period of time. Yeah, yeah. History, right? So, yeah, it's such a small period of time and, and such a little thing that most people wouldn't have no idea what a sway. Most people know what a skinhead is. Yeah. People would sway it. No. So um, I went to Omnibus about it and uh, I said, oh, you know, like Paul's been saying about doing a, a follow-up about sway They're like, shut up. Yeah. You know? And I said, well, what about if I go – People know about skinheads. Well, I knew skinheads and suedeheads. And straight away, they were like, oh, you know, like skinheads, right wing. So no, no, no. Original skinheads, reggae loving, clothes loving, nothing to do with right wing. And I'll make a point of it. And I said to them, <laughs> you know, like um, if there was um, a point when skinheads would think that I'm 
being the most anti-skinner person and they want to beat the, you know, what out of me, then I'll do it. And they went, okay, then that's fine. I say it would be a real point of it having to be non-right wing. And, um, and that's how we got it. And so I approached back about it and said, look, I've now got a little boy because when I wrote the new religion, I didn't have a little boy and realised that how much my time, because I've got a full-time job as well. And I said, I, I haven't got enough time to do a whole book on my own these days. And I knew that backs would be ideal to do it with. So he went, yep, all right, I'll do it, son, as he does. <laughs> and he went off and did it. And uh, he was brilliant. He got me some. I, I wrote that book. I mean, And backs would tell, I wrote all that book, basically. Backs got me contacts, photographs, Everything. Yeah. yeah Bax has, has been a brilliant um, person to uh, do it with. And what was mental as well, which was the um, other thing, was I was doing mod art. When I was doing mod art, I went with um, David Barraclough to a photo library, to these photo library places that you can go to these places that own all these photographs, and it was completely out the window. And what happened was um, I'd... Already got mods out, the mods of new religion, and they said, Oh, yeah, you've got to do another book, yeah, mod art. So I was doing mod art. So I was doing mod art, and he went, Do you want to go to a photo library place? I went, Yeah, okay. And in that meantime, I met Weller. When Weller had gone, Oh, you've got to do, yeah, like you've got to do this um, book about like suede heads and stuff. I went, Great. So we went to this big place. I can't remember. It's called Time Inc., I think it's called Time Inc. And uh, they had everything from TV Times and Melody Maker and then all the photo lines. Wow, I could for everything I ever wanted to. And they brought this stuff that they thought that I might like. And they brought these pictures out. And they were so minuscule, you had to look for them through uh, a magnifier. And uh, I said, what are they? And they went, oh, it's nothing. It's, we brought them down by accident. I said, well, what are they? I went, no, no, it's, it's accident. Don't, don't even look at it. And curiosity got the better of me. I went, oh, can I look at them? So I looked at them, and they were... Color photographs taken of suede heads in 1970 from TV Times. And they're in that book, and that's the only time they've ever been put. And I was like, wow! Like, you went, what? I went, that's for my next book, not, not my art, the next book. Yeah, like I'd already been thinking ahead, and that's what appears in there. It was totally fluke. Love it. They've, they've appeared in there, and they're the only full color pictures that have ever appeared of skinheads and suedeheads that haven't been seen. Paul's featured in the book. What really comes through is his, his absolute love of that period, because he was a kid. Yeah. So I, what was he talks about as being 12, I think, in 1970. Brings back so many, you know, famously somebody who doesn't look back and all that, but he, he clearly doesn't mind talking about this stuff. No. Him, him and uh, Mick Talbot were both brilliant in that. It's a weird thing, because you can chat to Paul, and he's not very... Um, yeah, he's not. Yeah, he he doesn't talk about the past and stuff. If you talk to about, um, so he, he he just doesn't care about it. It's really weird. It's a really totally unlike me. I'm, I'm complete opposite. But he will like no dismiss it and go no whatever. But there is a period that you can talk to him about, and it is really you know. Of, of all periods, it's it's his swayed, young swayed period, and he will open up totally and and chat about it. And I think he's he really loved, and he was so desperate for me to bring out that book. That's that's definitely his period that he loves. Yeah, because it, and it's also like you get the impression it's pre-jam, it's pre him being a 
for want of better expression, a, a star, if you like. There's no, yeah. there's no, you know, he's just the, the the love of being a kid, um, having no, you know, no weight in your shoulder, no pressure or whatever. Just yeah. him and his mates, but still loving fashion. The, the love of fashion at, at such yeah. a young age really comes through. So I'll read you a little bit from it. He was talking about, where is it? I was 12 in 1970. That's when I seriously got into clothes. My mum bought me my first pair of Levi's, maybe 501s, but they had a zip fly at the co-op for 30 bob, pound fifty. With them and my Brutus, I felt I was in. Brutus being checked shirt, was that right? Yeah, yeah. yeah. But 12 years old and totally already, bang, I love the strides, I love the fashion, I love the look. Yeah. Yeah, and all that. But, and the thing that comes through as well is when you see him, like I saw, uh, there was, we played in the, uh, the exhibition in Brighton, a little clip of Mick and Paul talking about the Star Council. Some of those memories are hazy. You can't remember the records or where they were recorded or how he wrote them or whatever. But that period of time is absolutely crystal clear. The amount of detail he's giving you about things is yeah. remarkable. And he's always like that. He would always say, now, oh, have you seen this picture of me? And he's wearing a pair of, you know, like loafers. And even now he'll pick it over and go, proper suede days or whatever. <laughs> so he ping it over now and he, he he's definitely got a love for it. There's no there's no denying that yeah. at all. It's that period is his love. Yeah. That's really interesting, I have to say. Hey look, we're running out of time. I do have some more questions that we're gonna have to cram in before we go. All right. These books to me, I mean I know I don't want to add another job onto your workload, right? But there's a podcast in these stories, you know, you because these are captured as almost like pieces of audio where you have snippets from each individual. Yeah. You know, Eddie does the modcast. Would you ever be interested in doing this kind of thing, this kind of world, interviewing people about this passion of yours? I would, but I just haven't got the bloody time, in truth. <laughs> I'm a postman. I work 40 years as a postman. I'm a writer. I'm a DJ. And I try and fit everything else in. And I've got, uh, you know, sadly, my son's got ADHD. So um, I spend a lot of time with my son and, and trying to sort things out. So it's a world, isn't it? It's it's real life. It's it's trying to sort things out. Yeah, my wife, wife, my wife does more for my son than I ever could. But yeah, I try and do what I can. But no, it's a, it's a, a bloody full on life, to be honest. So yeah, I loved I loved not to have my post office life and have yeah and make enough money that I could easily just write and, and everything. But I can't. So yeah. Eddie and I talked about the modcast, and I mean that's an incredible podcast that's become live events, weekend events. You know, it was kind of the inspiration for these type of things. But he's yeah. taken it to you know Mallorca and there, yeah. you know, the Brighton Bean is all that stuff. It's incredible how he's kind of developed that. And you've been a key part of that all the way Res through those. those yeah, exactly. Resident Res DJ. DJ yeah. But one thing I did ask Eddie was uh, how you get on those. Do you have to prove that you're a mod? And if so, is there a mod test? I'll no. ask the same question to you. And, no. is, and is mod something you can just take up at any point? Could I decide tomorrow that I want to be a mod? And if so, how would I start? See, I've got so, too many questions. That's a brilliant question. That is a brilliant question. I'll tell you what. The first is um, the reason I'm involved in the modcast is because it's so anti the retro world that I was involved in. So, uh, yeah, I was involved in the 80s, a heavily retro world where it was all to tailor-made clobber and handmade shirts and original labels and stuff. So I was very involved in that to the point where I was, I named the Untouchables rallies and stuff. I was very heavily involved in that. But the minute Acid Jazz and that turned up, I walked away from it. Mods and modernism are two different things. Even though I call myself a mod, modernism is about moving forward. And that's why Paul, when he spoke to me, was very interested that I had that view. He wouldn't be interested if I was like, oh, I know it's about 1963 and we only lived in that 
label and that. He wouldn't be interested in that at all. Paul is very much, and and I'd realised that that's what it's about. It's about modernism. It's about adopting stuff, whether it be what the casuals were doing or, or jazz funk or hip-hop or whatever. You have to have a, a bit of knowledge about everything and, and take on board what, what is going on. That's what I'd done uh, that's, without knowing Paul. This is back in the, in the 90s. So the reason I'm involved in the Modcast is because the Modcast is very welcoming and anyone got on a Modcast event, so you can hear anything there. I've played Paul Weller and Jam stuff and, and the Stylecats gets played. It's always like definite. Yeah, like that's always <laughs> like the law. So so we play that all the time. So there's you'd never get away from, without hearing either the Jam, the Style Council, ever, or Weller. You could never get away from a Modcast event without Weller having some influence on it. But at the same time, it might have hip-hop or it might have rap or it might have 70 soul or whatever. It would always move forward, but it's about moving forward. The second part of your thing can only be one if you've got attention to detail, in my opinion. So you can go through it stumbling and and going, this is what I want to do, I'll, I'll wear that. But there's no reason why you couldn't now, with all the you know, the internet and that, move forward of having your own look. I mean, yeah, I don't want anyone to think that oh, whatever I wore today, I'm all a park with badges. I haven't worn a boat in blazer. I haven't worn yeah, I don't wear anything. I wear my own style. And and I think that people should be able to embrace their own stuff. Yeah, have have their own imprint on it. So it's not about wearing what Everybody thinks you should do so. Like that, anyone could be a mod. Yeah, <clears throat> I like that. My um, my copy of Detail magazine came through the post the other day, which is a fabulous public publication. And um, my wife, it came through. My wife brought it from the front door, and she went, "Oh, for fuck's sake, you're not a mod now, as well, are you?" This <laughs> 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 did make me chuckle. The modcast, you got to feature with Weller. On an episode with Eddie in the studio, two episodes, two ep- well, slow, yeah, well, two, two, yeah, yeah. Um, and um, and it was really funny because you and Eddie just wanted to talk to Paul about the Jam the Style Council. I didn't know that. No, I know Eddie wanted to talk. To oh, okay, so Eddie's just standing right, there, yeah. and then. All Paul wants to do is hear your stories. Yeah. All you want to do is hear Paul. She's like, that's really you. Like, it was lovely. That was, that was, oh, that was such a moment. So what happened was um, we all got out. Eddie has said to me, because um, I don't know if I should say this, but so Eddie and Paul's relationship were a bit fractured. So um, Eddie said to me, Smiler, can you sort this out? Yeah, I'd love to get him on the podcast. So I'm the sort of go between man. I went, yeah, no, yeah, Eddie's a good guy. He's got his art right So I had to do all the thing. You anyway, know, it's all sorted. We get it done. So we're all meeting up in um, a restaurant in uh, Soho and Paul just asking all the questions before we go in. Yeah, he wants to know like an hour before. Where do we land? Yeah, where do we lie? And that it's all fine. So we get in the studio, and it was lovely that the fact that Eddie suddenly descends into this whole thing of how did the jam do this? And I could see Paul was getting fed up because <laughs> Paul doesn't like yeah. being asked about yeah you know, all the questions he's been asked for. <clears throat> they were proper geeky jam questions to be yeah, fair. Yeah, they, they yeah. were, but it, it was like I could see that Paul was getting like the hump a little bit because i don't know if you know it's in two parts if you get listen to it the second part is so much better because it's in two parts so the first part i think paul's getting a bit of the hump like oh, same old questions about the jam and that get a bit fed up about it anyway oh saw this 
Smiler, let's talk about your book. <laughs> I'm like, wow, that is brilliant. So we start yeah, talking about goes, my book. I'd rather hear about that. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So that was lovely. But the second part was great because I think we'd, in that period, because we were there for, you know, a few hours chatting, I think he'd relaxed a bit more and it wasn't about the jam anymore and about mods and stuff. And he was quite happy. They'd just chat about. So the second, I always say part two flourishes a little bit, you know, like how, how he feels. But it was lovely. I've never forgotten that. And the, there's a great moment that which says about Paul's uh, sense of humor. It, there's a bit where we interviewed him and my phone goes off and Paul Weller goes, who's that smiling? Your mum. <laughs> <laughs> So that's typical Paul. <laughs> and it was. Two final questions for you before you go. You're allowed one Paul Weller song for the rest of your life. It can be The Jam, The Star Council, or Solo. What are you going to go with? Bloody hell. Uh, God. If it was um, The Jam, it would always be Life from a Window. Okay. If it was The Star Council? Big Boss Groove. Oh, okay. And if it was The Solo? I'm very political, by the way. <laughs> yeah. got, got, uh... We didn't even get into that. Yeah. yeah. Solo? Solo above the clouds. Okay. And if you were to put your earpods in straight after this as you walk off into the sunset, what would be the first one? What would be the tune you'd put on? What by Paul Weller? Yeah. I assume you'd put that on. <laughs> yeah. Not by anybody. Yeah, yeah. yeah okay. Uh, change your man. Oh. Nice. Oh, got, some, got some happy people in the audience. Tune, man. Tune. Yeah. yeah well done. Because do you know why? Uh, it was, it was a, that was a really important thing because when we were moving away from the mod thing, all the things, change your man, here's a new thing, were all pointers to move on. You know, like, to me, it was, that made everything to me. Yeah, here's a new thing, especially, was like, move on. Final question. Purpose of this podcast is to talk to people like you and these amazing books. Honestly, if you haven't dug into these yet, you Thank really you. should do incredible, incredible amounts of work, but really fascinating pictures of our history, you know, captured in these publications. So yes, it is about that. And I do love talking to people like yourself, but the purpose of this event, this purpose of this podcast is to get the interview with Paul Weller. And I've realized I need to speak to you and I need to speak to Bax to make this happen, obviously. But if it happens, when it happens, what should I ask him? He would never want to know about the old days. You're better off asking him, What's the latest band you've heard that you like? He's very much future, very less retro, and, um, yeah, always looking forward. So prop modernist sound advice. What a lovely way to end. Hey, please give it up for my very special guest, Paul Smiler Anderson. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Hey, it's Danny Pellegrino from Everything Iconic. Ready to upgrade your style game without blowing your budget? Check out Quince. They've got all the good stuff, shirts and polos, activewear, and fine leather goods, all at 50 to 80% less than other high-end brands. And the best part? They're all about safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. 
Get that luxury vibe without the luxury price tag. Hit up quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. That's quince.com slash upgrade. When you make decisions for your company, you look for the no-brainers. And if you have a lot of mailing to do, stamps.com is the ultimate no-brainer. It streamlines your processes to make your business more efficient, which makes you less busy. Mail checks, invoices, legal documents, and everything you need to keep your business running with Stamps.com. Seamlessly connect with every major marketplace and shopping cart. Schedule package pickups and see your cheapest and fastest shipping options from different carriers. With rates up to 89% off USPS and UPS rates. And with the Stamps.com mobile app, you can take care of mailing and shipping wherever you are. Make the same no-brainer decision as over 1 million other businesses with Stamps.com. Sign up with Code Program for a 4-week trial, plus free postage and a free digital scale. No long-term commitments or contracts. That's Stamps.com. Code Program.